It's the next level. That's why here at this station, we watch the programs and commercials your child watches carefully. He may see bad guys, but not in the role of heroes. And he'll learn that crime doesn't pay. Because your child's welfare is our concern too. That's part of our code. The code of the National Association of Broadcasters for television and the greater public interest. that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. Surprise, surprise. Back to form and back to the pits. Yeah, it's your host and his lowbrow, low-quality show. We have returned. Coming straight from that odor-drenched armpit of Canada. You know, Windsor, Ontario. It's known as like the asshole of Canada or the armpit of Canada, whatever. I don't know. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, it's another foul production of What What Lurks Behind behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. This week on the show, we're going medical. Didn't I do that last episode? Kind of? Uh, whatever. Um, diseases and surgeries, masks, or the lack thereof. I'll explain that later. Uh, this week on the show, episode 75, a whole bunch of blood and anatomy, and an annoying giggle. <laughs> hmm, sounds almost eerily familiar in a way. But um, instead, from the mind of Manny Koto... I think that's how his name's pronounced. Kodo or Kato? I think it's Kodo. A horror comedy about a madman doctor running around slicing his victims up with bad puns. Starring Larry Drake. Episode 75 is Dr. Giggles from 1992. So y'all came back, eh? After episode 74. <laughs> My um, rant episode, I guess. 
That was, I don't know. It was something different. So the thing, going forward, I think I'm going to do this show a little differently from time to time. Try and mix it up. Hmm. But, yeah. So, few things before we get into the review, of course. Um, I'm going to get the, the sad part out of the way. Um, not that it's out of the way, but... Since last episode, uh, we lost a few people. Uh, just recently... What July twelfth? It was report. Well, I, John Travolta tweeted it out. Oh God, I think it was like it was close to midnight, around midnight that night. That his wife Kelly Preston passed away. And I mean, a lot of people know Kelly Preston from like Twins, Jerry Maguire, and stuff. But she also did a few horror and sci-fi flicks. I mean, she was in the movie Christine based off uh, Stephen King's book by John Carpenter, directed by John Carpenter. Um, she was also in an episode of Tales from the Crypt, uh, the episode The Switch. She played Linda in that. Um, she was in Spellbinder, which, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, as a teenager when I saw that, yeah, I was kind of in love with her um, for reasons. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Um, she was a very gorgeous woman. She died at the age of 57, sadly. Uh, had a two-year battle with breast cancer. And she finally passed away. So that's really sad. Um, she was also in Space Camp. That's a great flick. I have it on VHS. Me and my VHS, right? I know. Everybody's all about the Blu-ray these days and whatnot. And me, I'm, I'm like, I need to find Jason X on... VHS because like it's the last one I need <laughs> um, speaking of uh, Friday the 13th uh, just today actually July 13th a uh, box set was announced from Scream Factory 16 discs Friday the 13th all the movies uh, including an unrated version of Jason Goes to Hell there's going to be tons of extras deleted scenes, interviews a whole bunch of cool shit and the, the packaging looks amazing I believe I read they're limiting it to 13,000 copies. And within the first hour of it being announced, uh, the servers crashed, apparently. Um, I know a, a friend of mine actually has his on pre-order already. I think he said it was something like 145 Canadian. That's not bad for 16 discs. That's pretty damn good. Uh, Scream Factory also announced that Pumpkinhead and Motel Hell are getting Steelbook releases, so that's pretty cool. In terms of those who passed away also, we did lose uh, Ennio Morricone, a famous composer. I mean, his, his, um, his themes for the good, the bad, and the ugly, apparently, like, I mean, they're very iconic. Did you know Metallica made him famous? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was it, Loudwire, I think? When they reported his passing, they reported it as uh, the composer that Metallica made famous. It's like, bullshit. Whatever. Ennio Morricone did the thing. He did. John Carpenter didn't even score the thing. He went to Ennio and said, make this movie epic with a really fucking awesome score. And yeah, he passed away too. Uh, what did I read? Was, was he like 91, I think? It would really help if I did a little bit more research. I actually did research it when it when it was announced, but um, I 
I'm not the greatest host in the world, obviously. You know, my memory is not that good, as highlighted in episode 74. Yes, my memory is not always the greatest, but whatever. Um, also, I just thought I'd mention this. So, uh, X-Files. For those of you who have Amazon Prime, seasons 1 through 11 are on Amazon Prime now. Season 11 was the only one I hadn't seen yet. So, at first I was going to do a rewatch starting at the beginning. I watched like first three episodes of season one. And then I was like, you know, by the time I get to season 11, uh, it'll be like, you know, 10 years from now. <laughs> because I'm not always good at like, you know, like binge watching. Like people, some people are really good at this shit. They can do a season a day and stuff like that. I'm not, not that committed. I'm insane, but I'm not that committed. Uh, so anyways, yeah, I did finally get around to the 11th season. I just jumped straight ahead. I was like, okay, I got to see what season 11 was all about. Because I had read a lot that it was like a, a nice return to form. That uh, season 10, the one they were calling like the the um, X-Files, the event or whatever it was there. It was like six episodes. It was all right, but... Yeah, didn't totally grab me. I'm a fan of Robbie Amell. I, I do like his acting, but I didn't like him in the X-Files. So, after season 10, the event season or whatever they were calling it, I didn't return when season 11 was on TV. And it was like, you know what? Just fucking watch it. So I did. And... Not gonna lie, I enjoyed season 11 a lot. Um, I think my favorite episode of that season was uh, episode 4, The Lost Art of Forehead Sweat. Uh, <laughs> that was that was interesting. It, it's such a funny episode. That was the one with uh, Reggie something. Where it's like the... It was kind of like the X-Files like hitting on the whole Mandela effect thing. They, what were they calling it in the episode, though? The Mengele effect or something like that? It was, it was kind of funny. But there was, like, one scene. There was, like, a four-minute segment in that episode that just... I was like, wow, that was fucking clever, man. Uh, it's this scene where Mulder meets Dr. They. And I thought that was really clever because how many times have you talked with someone or yourself? Like, sometimes you say it or, the, you know, they say it. And a key word there is they. Uh, you know, like somebody will be like, oh, you know, they said the weather this week is going to be extremely hot. And who's they? You know, sometimes people, when we talk, we don't specifically quote someone. I try to, but even even myself, I've caught myself going, oh, you know, they said this. Well, who's they? Uh, so in, you know, the lost art of forehead sweat, we gave they a persona. We called him Dr. They. And there was this really cool dialogue back and forth between Mulder and Dr. They. So clever. the way, And it's so prominent in today's society. It's just the idea of, like, no one feels shame anymore. You know. I like the one part where Dr. Zay even says, he goes, kids today, they, they, they don't know what shame is. Like, even if it's caught on video, they just say, oh, it was taken out of context. That's not what they meant. How many times have we heard that said in the last, like, three years? 
<clears throat> regarding a certain someone. Um, <laughs> that's not what he meant. Um, well, he said it. Um, and what was... Oh, there was one other part that I really... I, like, the, the whole idea of the truth. In today's day, the truth is whatever people want to believe. We all, we all believe different things. And to us, it's true. It's that whole I'm right, you're wrong mentality, right? Like, because... If I'm saying it, it's true. It's what I believe. Well, what is the truth? There is no truth. At least not in today's society, right? And that was the whole idea of like that that whole four-minute scene between, you know, Mulder and Doctor. They oh, so clever, so well done. I don't want to spoil the whole thing because if you haven't watched, I highly suggest you do. Um... But I really enjoyed season 11. And I, a small regret on my part is that I didn't watch it when it was on TV. I should have. Um, I think a lot of it that deterred me from it was I, when it was airing on TV, I saw a lot of negativity towards um, the first episode and the last episode of that season. You know, it was the continuation of the My Struggle story arc. Which I guess just wasn't for everyone. I don't personally mind them myself. I didn't mind the whole story of, you know, like the cigarette smoking man and how... Spoilers! He's the father of, you know, um, Scully's son, William, who is, you know, her son, not her son kind of thing. Like, you have to watch it to get it and stuff. But, I mean... I don't know, like I saw, there was a lot of people that really didn't care for those episodes, but everything in between they loved. That one episode, that's like, the title of the episode is like a bunch of letters and numbers, and it's like this whole um, idea of technology going wrong. You know, all because Mulder didn't pay a tip to the cooks. The cooks were robots. Why do they need a tip? But it was really cool. A very well done season. Um... Done in typical X-Files fashion, you know, the idea of aliens and witchcraft and, you know, cults and conspiracies and all this shit. Like, it was done very well. Um, I don't know. I, again, like, I really enjoyed season 11. But for those of you that may have not watched the X-Files but want to, Amazon Prime got all 11 seasons. Go nuts. But from... Killers in hockey masks and conspiracy theories and the truth to blood-curdling, gory, frightening killer doctors with a giggle. Does this movie hold up? Is it worth the critics slamming it took in the 90s? Is this movie more effective than the strongest sedative on the big pharma product line? Well, I guess we'll find out after the time... the timer. <laughs> the trailer timeout... Because, yeah, we're going to do a trailer timeout, and then when we come back, our shared podcast experience will be about a doctor that is in, or insane. Dr. Giggles, when we return. Back in a moment, kids. It's time to make an appointment. Scalpel. It'll be good for your health. Trust me, I'm a doctor. Oh, oh sorry. The doctor's insane. <laughs> How about a free examination? Ready to take your medicine. If you think that's bad, when you get my bill. I hope you have protection. <laughs> Dr. Giggles. It's a good thing I make house calls. Bring it on. 
Gotta ask you guys something. Not that you can answer me, but hey. Got that music stuck in your head yet? Music that was playing during the intro to this episode? Yeah. You recognize that music? I'm sure most of you do. If you were alive during the Nintendo NES system, the original NES, back in that day, that era, that game... That fucking game, Dr. Mario, was like a lot like Tetris, of course. But god damn, Dr. Mario was fun. But that fucking music always got stuck in your head. I remember hours after playing Dr. Mario, I'd still hear that music playing in my head. Sad but true facts. My mom used to kick my ass in that game. <laughs> Not cool. Not cool at all. Kids are supposed to be better at this shit than their parents. My mom was the fucking queen of Dr. Mario. But we're not talking about Nintendo games right now. We're talking about Dr. Giggles. Which, if you guys remember back a few months ago, when I had done one of those choose-your-own-hell polls on the Facebook page, I believe I had Chopping Mall up against uh, Dr. Giggles. And Chopping Mall won ever so slightly. So I was like, you know what? One day I will return to... The Doctor of Giggles, which is what I've done now. So, Doctor Giggles was released October 23rd, 1992. And I can't remember which critic said it, but basically said that October, or no, he said Friday the 23rd would go down in infamy as the worst day in horror movie history ever. So much he hated this movie. And I can't, I don't think I wrote down the reviewer for that. I had, no, it wasn't the guy from the New York Times because he basically said that this whole script sucked. Um, critics hated this movie, by the way. So if there's any love to Dr. Giggles, it came from the fans, basically, because most critics could not stand this movie. Sucks for the director, Manny Cotto. Because, yeah. Manny, though, however... Interesting that he also directed an episode of the TV series Monsters, for those of you who remember that, late 80s. Uh, He did the episode Love Hurts, and he also directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt, uh, Morning Mess, from 1991. However, though, Manny is more well-known for his producing role in TV. Um, He's worked on shows like The Outer Limits, Odyssey 5, Star Trek Enterprise, 24, Dexter, and American Horror Story. And on all of those respective titles, he also wrote several episodes. Um, Which leads into the writers of Dr. Giggles, which was Manny Cotto and Graham Whiffler. Now, Graham has not done a ton of work, uh, but one notable thing I did see in his resume that I wanted to highlight on, he directed the video for True Men Don't Kill Coyotes by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is always funny because if you listen to the song, they always say, True Men Don't Kill Coyotes. It's like, it's coyotes, but <laughs> they always said coyotes in the song. Um, He was also the writer and the director for the movie Neighborhood Watch in 2005. Remember that fact, folks. There's an important reason why I bring that up. Producer for Dr. Giggles was Stuart M. Besser. 
Worked on a lot of Wes Craven flicks, like The People Under the Stairs, Vampire in Brooklyn, Scream, Scream 3, Cursed. And then he also did 310 to Yuma and The Losers, just to name a few. But um, yeah, he worked with Wes Craven quite a bit. The music for the movie was done by Brian May. Brian May, notable composer, worked on uh, Mad Max and Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Also worked on a movie, Thirst, uh, Cloak and Dagger with Dabney Coleman and Henry Thomas, which is a childhood favorite of mine. If you've ever seen that, it's watching it as an adult now, I'm kind of like, eh, this game's, or this game, uh, this movie's not that good. I say game because it was based on an Atari 7800 game, um, Cloak and Dagger, but, um, I still love the movie. I do own it, but it's just, I kind of watch it now and I'm like, oh, not so good. Kind of cheesy. Brian May also did uh, music for Sky Pirates, Steel Dawn, Innocent Prey, Dead Sleep, and Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which everyone hates this fucking movie and I don't know why. I fucking love Freddy's Dead. It's so bad, but it's fun. Ah, again, dealing with video games. At one point, Freddy's got his power glove and he's like beating up Spencer in the game. And I, I don't know. I always loved it, but so many people hated that movie. Brian May sadly passed away in 1997 from a heart attack, though. I'm all about the great happy news this week, aren't I? You know, Kelly Preston, Ennio Morricone. Now I mentioned about Brian May, and don't worry, that's not where it ends. <laughs> Pretty shitty on my part this week, but hey. Special effects for Dr. Giggles were done by KNBFX, the group. Uh, better known as um, Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero, and Howard Berger. Now, Kurtzman... Okay, I'm going to get this out in the open now. Kurtzman, Nicotero, and Berger, all three of them done fucking everything. They, they're, I, I was going to write down movies. I'm like, I'll be here all fucking day long. I mean, Kurtzman alone has done everything from Terror Vision and Night of the Creeps to Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. And I mean, Nicotero, no different. Um, Nicotero, though, did, uh, he's directed 32 episodes of The Walking Dead. A uh, couple of the Shutter exclusive creep show, uh, the the series there. He's done a couple of those episodes. Granted, he he's basically the creator behind that series, you know, in honor of Romero and King. And then Berger, same as same deal as the other two. I mean, he's worked on fucking everything. Their credit list is just a mile long. I was like, I'm not writing everything down. If you guys don't know who Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero, and Howard Berger are, shame on you. Your starring cast for Dr. Giggles. I don't know why I mentioned anybody else but this guy, but hey, let's start with the best. Larry Drake as Dr. Evan Rendell Jr. Or our Dr. Giggles, which I'm going to point out something when I do my review of this. Anyways, you'd know Larry Drake from Darkman, Darkman 2. Uh, he worked on quite a few of the DC animated uh, shows as well, and he was in American Pie 2. He was uh, the father. If I remember correctly, he's the father from the scene where uh, Jason Biggs' character, which I can't remember off the top of my head, when he's like 
having sex in the college dorm and Eugene Levy and, you know, it, like Jason Biggs' father walks in and then the other father is Larry Drake. Um, so he's in that. He, what I really like is that Larry Drake played Santa Claus in the Tales from the Crypt episode all through the house, which is um, it's a it's a fan favorite amongst Tales from the Crypt fans. Um, it's a Christmas episode, of course, but Larry, Larry Drake played Santa Claus, and I think that's totally awesome. Um, now for the rest of the cast, which we really won't care for, but hey, they're there. Holly Marie Combs as Jennifer Campbell. And most people know her as Piper on the TV show Charmed. She also was in the movie with Tom Cruise, born on the 4th of July. She's kind of there in this movie, I'll just say that. Cliff DeYoung. Or DeYoung. Um, so he plays Tom Campbell. He's Jennifer's father. He's a face. You see him. You know him. He's been in a lot of TV, a lot of TV. I didn't write down too much of it. He was in the movie The Hunger, but he was also in the pilot episode for The X-Files. I'm all about The X-Files this week, guys, but he was in the pilot episode. He played the doctor. Oh, what the fuck? Renman, I think is the guy's name. God, I wish I had a better memory. What's that? What's that vitamin? It's not B12 either. Is it B12? For memory, Ginkgo Galoba, whatever. I need that shit. My memory's never good. Old age sucks, guys. Uh, Cliff DeYoung was also in Flight of the Navigator. And he was in Carnosaur 2. Have to mention that. Glenn Quinn. You'd recognize his face. He plays Max Anderson. He's Jennifer's boyfriend in this. He was also in Roseanne. He played Becky's boyfriend in Roseanne. Uh, he was also an angel. He played Doyle. Now, Glenn Quinn. I said I was all about the happy news this week. He passed away in 2002 from a heroin overdose. He was only 32. And you know, it's kind of weird because I remember that. I remember reading that in the news and being like, fuck, Doyle's dead. It sucks. I loved Angel, by the way. That was a great TV series. Buffy was better, but Angel was good. But yeah, Glenn Quinn passed away at the age of 32. But he's in this. Not that it matters. <laughs> Keith Diamond has Officer Joe Wright. And he played a security guard in Stephen King's The Golden Years. He was in the movie Awakenings, that really awesome movie with Robert De Niro and Robin Williams. But he did a lot of TV work. The one thing that stood out to me, though, and I vaguely remember this animated series. He was the voice of Agent J on Men in Black, the animated series. I don't think I saw every episode, but I do remember watching some of them. I always liked the movies better, but it is what it is. Moving on to Richard Bradford as Officer Hank Magruder. And most well known for the movie The Untouchables and The Legend of Billie Jean. Here's more of that happy news. He passed away in 2016, but I believe it was of old age. Like he, he just, it was natural causes. Um, nothing really sad. I mean, sad, but you know, Michelle Johnson as Tamara. She's, um, Tom Campbell's like new love affair, like new lover. Um, I'll explain more of that in the review, but, um, 
you probably it's funny when i watched this movie and i've watched it many times but i remember like early on when i saw it i was like she looks so fucking familiar she's in the movie waxwork and i knew i recognized the face but it's again it's kind of like cliff de young like it's it's those faces that you recognize but it's like where have i seen you before and you sort of puzzle on it for a bit she was also in the movie death becomes her uh, moving on to John Vickery as Dr. Chamberlain. And he'd done some work. The most notable for me that I had recognized him from, he was the voice of Lucifer in the video game for Dante's Inferno. Dante's Inferno. I haven't, God, that's a movie I haven't seen in a long time. But I remember the video game vaguely. <laughs> Again, I need that memory shit. <sighs> Maybe they'll like, I don't know. I don't want to go here because people will bitch and complain, but like if you know if they're gonna chip us, chip my fucking memory so I don't forget shit. <laughs> Conspiracy theories, gotta love them. Moving on to Nancy Fish as Elaine Henderson. She is the woman who calls in in the, in this movie in Doctor Giggles. She calls in that she hears noises noises coming from, you know, the old Rendell house. Uh, she was also in Exorcist Three. She was in The Mask, and she played the bag like the the homeless bag lady in Howard the Duck. <laughs> I saw she was in Howard the Duck. I'm like, fuck! I'm mentioning that. I am one of those like you know diehard Howard the Duck fans. We are few and far between, but we do exist. Doug E. Doug as Trotter. He was also in Eight-Legged Freaks. Okay, finally, William Dennis Hunt as Dr. Evan Rendell Sr. Again, one of those faces that I was like, I know him from somewhere, but where? Glad I did the research on this movie because he was in Critters 3, and that's where I remembered him from. The synopsis for Dr. Giggles... Right off the back of the VHS tape, which I do own. It has been 35 years since the small town of Moorhigh discovered why Dr. Rendell kept losing his patients. He was ripping their hearts out in a twisted attempt to save his ailing wife. The townspeople stoned Rendell to death, but they never found the young son with the hideous giggle who helped his deranged father perform the operations. Now, more than three decades later, Dr. Rendell's son returns to gain revenge on Moorhigh's residents, and he's not shy about making house calls. You'll die laughing, but his unlucky patients will just die. The runtime is an hour and 35 minutes. It's rated R for language, violence, blood, and fucking bad puns. And the movie grossed just under 8.5 million worldwide. Now it's notes from the cutting room. Oh yeah, if we're going to do puns, I'm going to throw them in there too. Oh, the puns in this movie. Ugh. I'm not a pun guy. Never have been. But I, I will appreciate a good pun. I will say that. Now were there good puns in this movie? I don't know. <laughs> I will say, though, okay, so I mentioned earlier, remember Neighborhood Watch. The reason why, Graham, Whiff, Graham Whiffler, 
who was the co-writer on Dr. Giggles, his original script was actually called Mr. Giggles and was almost entirely reworked by the time this thing went into filming. Uh, Mr. Giggles bears only the vaguest similarity to the movie Dr. Giggles in the fact that like the character names and the notion of surgery are all that survived. Everything else was changed now, but I do say that I mentioned Neighborhood Watch, and the reason why is because if you see that film from 2005, that's almost what Mr. Giggles or Dr. Giggles was supposed to be. Um, Nightmare on Film Street do a really in-depth interview with Whiffler that can be found online if you're interested in checking it out. I will say, it when you read the synopsis for what Neighborhood Watch is, and then you think, you know, that's what this movie was supposed to be. I haven't seen Neighborhood Watch myself. I'm not going to lie. It's not one that crossed my path ever. I am curious to check it out now myself because I'm like, when I read the, the whole idea of it, I'm like, hmm. It's like basically like this family moves into this neighborhood and they got the strange neighbor thing going on. Kind of like the Burbs. Um, you know, he's like very introverted and he's doing weird shit in his basement and stuff like that. And when I think about what Dr. Giggles could have been had they followed that premise, it might have been a bit better. I'm not saying I hate this movie, by the way. I'm just saying could have been better. But now I want to see Neighborhood Watch to see how that movie holds up. In terms of Dr. Giggles, though, Larry Drake. Larry Drake is fucking wonderful. And I emphasize the fucking wonderful. He is great in this movie. That cannot be taken away from the film. His performance is wonderful. The rest of the cast, well... <sighs> the problem with the cast is there's not much to connect with. I mean, some of these characters are in and out of this movie faster than, I don't know, the worst lay you've ever had. I don't know. Like, There's not much there. And the kids in the film are all your typical tropes. They're every single character you've seen in a movie before. Even our lead female protagonist, Jennifer, played by Holly Marie Combs. She doesn't jump out of the scream at all. There's scream. She doesn't jump out of the screen at any point. I should have left it the way it was. It was a kind of good pun. But anyways... And we're all about the puns when it comes to Dr. Giggles. But no, like seriously, her acting in this could use a facelift. Ooh, there I go with another bad pun. I don't know. Like, I, I know that like Charmed fans loved her as Piper. And I get that. But in this movie, acting not that good. Just not that good. Colin Quinn as the boyfriend is the typical dumb fucking boyfriend. When he doesn't get what he wants, he doesn't get his way because his girlfriend's going through something that he doesn't understand. He's easily lured by the high school sex pot, who's played by Sarah Melson in this, to join in the rolling around on the floor and getting funky with their anatomical bop. Like, that's that's the problem with it, is it's... Nothing was unpredictable in this. You see the boyfriend, you see the, oh yeah, here we go. Typical stupid, you know, I don't get it. I don't understand why you don't want to drink, why you don't want to make out with me, blah, 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 blah. Your girlfriend's going through a fucking issue. She has a heart problem. You know, it's been diagnosed. She might have to go for surgery. She's got some shit on her mind, dude. 
But of course, they make them the typical teenagers. Oh, it's all about me. Cliff Young, you know, he's play, He's that familiar face we've all seen before. He's playing the typical father figure. He's naive. His wife died. He's already moved on with Michelle Johnson's character, Tamara. He's already moved on, and now he wants his daughter to accept the, the new woman. But of course, the daughter, you know, oh, I can't accept her. I just don't like her. We've seen all this before. And like I said, Michelle, she she plays the replacement romance for daddy. We've seen this before. And of course, you know, she's all like, oh, yeah, your daughter, you know, she's doing exactly what she wants you to believe. She wants you to fall for her story and blah, blah. And it's like, oh, my God, we've seen all this shit before. The Larry Drake is fucking amazing. I will say that. But yeah, everybody plays their typical trope. And the story is predictable. I'll give the story this. It's quick paced. The movie doesn't really drag a whole lot. I mean, I don't know. I, I remember watching this the first time and I was pretty interested in it. Now, I mean, as the years have gone on, is do I find the movie incredibly interesting? Nah. It's a good time waster, though. I'll say that much. The music of Brian May, eh, he's always a pleasure. The music is the music, and the music's great. It does what it's supposed to do. Highlights the the tension points. It highlights the, the goofy points. It's got like a... I wouldn't say it's got like a Dr. Mario kind of goofiness feel to it, but I mean, it, it's it's got that playful manner to it while adding the spooky feature to it. So, I mean, it, it works. The special effects... Huh. Okay, so the special effects coming from KMBFX, you would expect good shit. And I'm not going to lie, the, the, some of the heart props and whatnot, they're quite good. The movie, though, isn't like over-the-top gory. I've seen a lot worse. Like, I mean, this movie is, isn't Dead Alive. It isn't Evil Dead 2. You know, it's... Fuck, it's not even, like, the ending of Mandy. Like, I mean, it, it's... There's some blood spattering on the face of Dr. Giggles. There's some quick cuts, some slashes, some throats cut, and shit like that. I mean, it's it's there. The gore is there. But, you know, when you know who's behind it, I expect it a bit more. And I know that sounds pretty bad. Because, technically, the movie's not bad in terms of the violence and gore. Like, I mean, it, it holds up, but... The whole thing is, is, and this is highlighted later in my review, uh, more in terms of the critic receptions, but you get this totally awesome opening credit scene. It's it's all digital, of course, you know, digital animation and whatnot, but it's fucking great. And then even the opening, like, you know, 10 minutes with the exception of one point that just doesn't make sense to me. But anyways... You get this really cool scene where, like, Dr. Giggles is performing, you know, a heart removal of some dude who he didn't take out of his clothes. You know, he's not in, like, hospital attire, so you know he murdered the guy. You know, he's in his business suit, and you're, the, the, the victim is in a business suit, and you know, getting his heart ripped out. And you see, like, you know, you know how, like, they, they show, like, you know, when a doctor's performing surgery, like, there's that, that panel of doctors that's above them looking down and watching the surgery and stuff like that. Except you come to find out that in this movie, it's not a panel of doctors that's up there. It's a panel of released mental patients. So it's like, oh, that was interesting. But, um... Like, that's what I mean. Like, the movie grabs you right from the beginning. There's a, It's an awesome opening scene. 
And then it just, that's where all the tropes start coming in, and there's some really bad puns. Um, but yeah, in terms of the gore, like, so I just highlight on this point just a bit. You're not going to get super high gallons of blood ooze count in this. Like, it, it's not like, you know, dead alive, you know, let's pull out the lawnmower. Um, no, it's not, it's not that. But the humor is what was this movie's selling point. This is more so a comedy than a horror. It's listed as a horror comedy. I'd say they were trying to highlight more on the comedy. The thing is, is that if you're like me, okay, if puns are not your thing, if you don't find them an appealing form of humor, this movie will dull out on you real fast. I mean, an apple a day keeps the doctor away kind of puns. And I mean... Our lead female cracks that exact pun. Holly Murray Combs' character of Jennifer says that specific line. So, of course, and she's your quote-unquote final girl in this movie, right? So, I mean, oh, I'm going to eat an apple a day. We'll keep the doctor away. In other words, I'm going to survive and everyone else is going to fucking die. Um, in terms of Dr. Mario, because I did, you know, play that music earlier, there was that... This movie inspired that, I will say this, because there is a scene that is actually really amusing. You got this kid playing uh, Dr. Mario on uh, Nintendo. He's using one of those, like, like actual joysticks, though. You know, you could buy, like, those supplemental, like, joysticks that... It looks like an arcade joystick and whatnot. He's playing the game with that, so it was kind of different, because I was expecting to see the little paddle thing, but whatever. Um... But yeah, that scene is kind of amusing because the kid's like totally oblivious to what's going on. And here Dr. Giggles is upstairs and he's causing all sorts of chaos and ruckus and whatnot. And the kid totally doesn't even flinch, doesn't even notice. And then, you know, Dr. Giggles comes back downstairs and he's watching the kid play the game. And you hear the music, music gets stuck in your head, got stuck in mine. And then Dr. Giggles is like terminal. And it's like, oh, bad pun. Fuck. Like, I mean, but I don't know. It's that opening scene, though. That opening scene really grabs it's, it really grabs an audience. It's really well done. I mean, and it's meant to be spoofy. Like it, let's put it this way. That opening scene does set off the tone of the film. Here's the thing, though. You have these doctors that are, like, walking towards the room that Dr. Giggles is in. This at the beginning of the film again. And they're talking about the name. They're talking about, well, why do they call him Dr. Giggles? And it's like, oh, because no one knows his real name. First off, that's bullshit because the whole fucking movie, everybody knows it's Evan Randall. Secondly, how would you be a professional doctor who has access to the police forces and all these? You you have access to information. And you don't know his real name? Wait, what? Like... Right off the bat, that's one of those things that's just like kind of searing because it's like you got these like, you know, these three medical officials walking down. We're going to go get Dr. Giggles. We're going to lock him up again. Why do they call him Dr. Giggles? Oh, it's because nobody knows his real name. But everybody knows his real fucking name. The whole fucking movie. That's all they do is mention about Evan Rendell. Like, uh, okay. So the critics hated this movie. In a way, sort of understand why. Um, I wrote down quotes because there, there's some good shit here. These, uh, 
I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't hate this movie, but some of these critics nailed some shit dead on. And then some of them are just like seriously need to stay away from horror films. Uh, Ty Burr of Entertainment Weekly wrote, At this late date, the rules of adolescent slice and dice genre have codified into rituals. Teens plus sex equals death. Yeah. Suggesting that those who rent this may have bigger problems than just bad taste. Ouch. Okay, let's not knock on the people that like this movie, okay? Like, knock on the movie, that's fine. I'm sure Manny Cotto has, you know, broad shoulders and can take your bullshit, but don't fucking slam on the fans, because we all love shit for different reasons. John Woolley of uh, Tulsa World said, Sick, in quotes, is the operative, sorry in brackets, uh, word for Dr. Giggles. A by-the-numbers horror entry distinguished only by a good performance by Tulsa's Larry Drake as the deranged doc. I might have to agree with this guy. In, uh, in the whole sentence. Because it is by-the-numbers. It, it, like I said, it's typical horror tropes. Larry Drake is the standout. His giggle, though... <sighs> I said earlier, annoying giggle. It's annoying. He does it well. I mean, as an actor, that's great. You're supposed to be disturbed or, you know, enraged by these antagonists. And he does it well. So that's why I don't knock his giggle. It's annoying, but well done. <laughs> um, Jeff Shannon of the Seattle Times wrote, the doctor's incessant giggling is supposed to be repre- is supposed to represent the outlet of childhood psychological trauma, but don't expect Doctor Giggles to give Drake's performance a sympathetic or tragic dimension. So, in terms of that, again, I said the giggling is annoying, but well done. And through his comment, he's basically saying it's also supposed to represent the childhood trauma that Evan Rendell Jr. went through. I don't know that I got that from this movie. I mean, I know that's what's supposed to be implied, but at no point does it ever actually... I mean, there's a scene where, like, they show more that the father and son are operating on somebody and father giggles. So the son giggles, but I don't get that he was traumatized. I get that he like enjoyed it. Like I find that the giggle is more, is more um, representative of the fact that, you know, Evan Rendell jr. Dr. Giggles is enjoying what he's doing. Um, I don't get that. It's, it's a trauma. I mean, I guess you could say it's a trauma and, because it's traumatic that a child would go through that, obviously. But I think he enjoys what he's doing. Um, TV Guide. I love their comment. Uh, what this project really needed was a script doctor. <laughs> okay, so let's play on the puns with a pun. Like, <laughs> But eh. finally, Sight and Sound noted that the film's satire gives way to a few nicely nasty moments but that the film never tops the visual flair of the opening credits. Yes, 100% that, yes. The opening credits is amazing. Like I said, the first 10 minutes of this movie is awesome. Minus the doctors that are like, oh, we don't know his real name. You're fucking morons. But, <laughs> but the opening 10 minutes of this movie are awesome. 
it's everything else that follows that I just I don't know if I can say it holds up. Um, IMDb has Dr. Giggles at a 5.2 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes. So <laughs> the critics have it at 17%. Rotten as fuck. They hate it. I mean, that's where I got most of my quotes from was Rotten Tomatoes. I was just reading through them. All. I'm like, God, you guys hated this movie. Uh, 41% rotten, I guess, by the audience. So, I mean, like I said, like there is there is a fan base for this movie. It, it has a cult following. Uh, I mean, 88% of Google users like this film. So people that have researched it on Google or looked it up or whatever have clicked, yeah, I like this movie. 88% is not a, a shitty number. You know, it's, it's good. The podcast zero rating, however. So, this movie has charm. It has a bit of cleverness. I'm going to give it that. But it relies on a lot of the puns. It, the humor is the selling point, And if puns are not your thing, you may not enjoy this movie. There is gore. There is some blood. But without Drake, the leading charge, this movie, or without him leading the charge, I should say, this movie would not have fared as well. At least that's what I believe. Uh, the rest of the cast just seems to be there. They're there to forward his story. That's it. I get it. They're supporting cast, but especially your lead female antagonist or protagonist, sorry, like, you know, Jennifer should be something more than I feel that she was in this film. Uh, and I feel that that. Because of that, it kind of hurts this film. The opening credits, as pointed out by Sight and Sound and myself, of course, uh, is one of the visual highlights of this film. Uh, but the rest of the film just never gets to that point. In terms of the visual flair, in terms of anything, in terms of even the excitement, it never gets to that point. The opening 10 minutes of this movie is awesome. I just find that the rest of it is just kind of there. Like I said, this is a this is a, a movie that's a, a Saturday afternoon waster. Um, I do enjoy it. Like I I don't hate the movie for the most part. I do like what I watch, and I mean again, it's it's a good movie to put on while I'm doing something else. You know, tune in every now and then, have a good giggle or whatever. I mean, I I'm a proud owner of the VHS release of this, like, and still love my VHS. A little beaten up, but I love it. Um, I, I, I don't know as, as much as it does, as much as it does what I think it's set out to do, it's really hard to rate this movie any higher than a five. I I'm actually on par with IMDb. I, I think it's a five. Uh, Larry Drake is amazing as he usually is. He's a great actor, but it's just not enough to elevate this film to higher than a gut-splitting five. Um, my final thought on this is the diagnosis is in, and while not terminal, it will leave you with some side effects for the duration of your life, or you'll have a full recovery and never have a relapse of this film again. Either way, take two ibuprofens and don't call me in the morning because I'll be fucking sleeping. On that note, thank you for listening this week, guys. Um, yeah, so, Dr. Giggles, 5 out of 10. That That's kind of where I'm standing on this. Uh, 
like I said, I I do own the VHS. I can't say that I would ever buy the DVD or the Blu-ray. Um, I'm, I'm satisfied with my VHS. The only way I would ever replace it is, you know, I mean, if it gets chewed up in a VCR, maybe. Um, at that point, I might just, like, you know, watch a, a stream of it or a download or something. Like... I, I'm glad I have it in my collection. It, it looks nice. The cover artwork for the movie is clever. You know, especially coming out in the 90s, because in the 90s, and a lot of people have highlighted this, like in the 90s, it was always, you, you had those posters where it was like, it showed like the teen cast and stuff like that. This is really cool because you see like the dark eyes of Dr. Giggles and you see him wearing his surgical mask. And then like, like sort of like faded into the picture, you see like his house his abandoned house and he's standing in front of it and stuff. It's a really cool looking poster. The logo on it is awesome. I've always loved the logo for Dr. Giggles and whatnot. Again, the marketing for the film was great. The opening 10 minutes do exactly what they're supposed to do. They grab you and hook you, but you'll just find that watching the movie going on. It just, it's just kind of there. Let's put it this way. Manny Cotto did a way better job when he took on Dexter than doing Dr. Giggles. Um, Dexter is Dexter is what I think Dr. Giggles could have been and would have been a lot better. Let's put it that way. I think I think Dexter is is a far superior. Granted, yes, it's a TV series that had time to tell its story, but it's far superior in terms of the whole killer doctor genre because I, I let's face it killer doctors has to be a genre right we have movies like the dentist there's the dentist and the dentist two part two whatever i mean like there is like that killer doctor the mad doctor whole genre i mean frankenstein is about a mad doctor recreates life you know what i mean so personally myself if, if i'm giving a recommendation i say go watch dexter there's what seven seasons of Dexter, and the first six were awesome. Especially two through six. Well, some people didn't like six. I don't know. I liked six. I liked seven, honestly. It just the way it ended was kind of. Eh. I get it. They were setting it up in case they ever wanted to go back to it. But I mean, it was kind of like, eh. why? But anyways. If you're looking for the podcast, you want to recommend it to somebody, you know, you want to tell somebody where they can find it, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or it's home at thenextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero. It's part of that wonderful network of podcasts, everything from uh, Ben. Ben just did a new um, showcast spotlight. Uh, And I should have written it down. Who the fuck did he just interview? It was a great interview, though. Um, but I can't remember who it was. Oh, man. I'm going to start calling this What Lurks Behind Old Age. Because my memory sucks ass. No wonder I write down so much shit. Um, but yeah, and of course there's the Melting Pat. Melting Pat is a weekly thing. Panels to Pixels is a weekly thing. Two Fat Dudes weekly. Two Fat Dudes, by the way, have their own website now. Doing a lot of blogging on there. They've got different writers and whatnot. You should check that shit out. Uh, TFDNerdCast.com, if I'm correct. I believe that's where that's at. Uh, If you're looking on social media for, you know, my shit, uh, 
what lurks behind podcast zero.com uh facebook facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero you can find me on instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and on twitter at wlb podcasts wlb podcast zero I got so used to saying that there was an underscore in there that now that I took that out, I keep fucking it up. <laughs> okay, so Lurker's Recommendation. I haven't done this in a while. So Lurker's Recommendation, a far better comedy than Dr. Giggles. Uh, less puns, a lot more... Uh, let me... F- let, let, let's just face it. Okay, dancing and singing cockroaches. Yes. Uh, if you ever saw, back in the 90s... For some of you, you weren't born yet. But for those of you who were, back in the 90s on MTV, they had this short. It was a three-minute short where this guy, he was, he, he, was, he was bringing home a girl on a date. And he warned his roommates, please, don't be here when we show up. And his roommates are like, okay, yeah, no problem. We got it. We got it. And then he leaves to go on that date. And while he's gone... His roommates decide they want to like spruce up the apartment. They want to make it beautiful. They want to make it great so it make a really good impression on the girl. Girl's drop dead gorgeous. The guy, well, he looks like your long, sort of long haired yuppie. You know what I mean? He's got like the suit and stuff like that. Whatever. His apartment's a mess. It's a reason it's a mess. Part and partial to his roommates. Yes, the roommates are the singing and dancing cockroaches, although not in the short, because it was a three-minute short. But they expanded on their character in the movie from 1996, starring Jerry O'Connell and Megan Ward. Joe's Apartment. You guys have to check this out if you've never seen this. And I found out that quite a few people have not seen this movie. So I was like, I have to fucking recommend this shit. You guys have to watch Joe's Apartment. I've had it on VHS for a bit now. And... I actually just recently watched it and it still holds up. It's still funny. It's funny as fuck. Um, I, it's cheesy humor. Keep in mind, like, it's, it's it's an MTV production, right? So, I mean, what did MTV give us? MTV gave us Beavis and Butthead, Ren and Stimpy, and Joe's Apartment. <laughs> like like I said, singing and dancing cockroaches. You know, that it, it, it's, it's fucking wild. So... That's Lurker's recommendation. I was like, you know what? I want to stay within the same vein as like quirky humor, but this is not a horror movie. Unless you're like afraid of bugs, then you might be freaked out. But it's just, it's, it's a fucking blast. And I had to recommend it. We're going to close out with a track by the band Boss Hog. Now, Boss Hog actually are in the movie Joe's Apartment, which is what inspired this. But this it's a, it's a double inspiration because the song I'm going to play is called Sick. So I was like, well, we're going with Dr. Giggles and we're going with Joe's Apartment because Joe's Apartment has a cameo by Boss Hog. Boss Hog, by the way, was uh, for those of you who remember John Spencer, John Spencer's uh, Blues Explosion. Well, he had a side project called Boss Hog in which it was him and his wife. So, and it's like blues punk. It's fucking, it, it's a great concept. And the, the song Sick came from their set, their second album that was called Boss Hog. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to play with this a little bit because we did like the whole medical thing with, you know, Dr. Giggles. And then I recommend Joe's Apartment. So let's put the two together and we come up with Sick by Boss Hog. So there's that. So you know what the closing track is. Next episode is a surprise. I'm not telling you what it is. Um, because yeah, like, you know, I, 
every week I always announce what the next episode is, and I was like, you know what, I'm doing things a little bit differently. So next week I'm or next episode because it might not come next week. I'm working on it currently, so I'm hoping to have it ready by next week. But we'll see what happens. Anyways, the next episode is a surprise. Until then, take your vitamins, drink lots of fluids, exercise daily, and watch more horror. It'll keep you healthy. And that's a cut.